Hello, and welcome back to the Northwestern Baseball Podcast. This is episode 9. We're still recording here in early May, and things are still going well for the Wildcats, why this podcast is still slightly relevant. I'm Amit Malik, joined by Matt McHugh, a familiar face to all those around the Wildcats this season. And we're also joined today by special guest making his second appearance on the podcast, the Daily Northwestern's Joe Wilkinson. Joe, how are you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Amit. I'm happy to be here, you know. It's been a fun season covering the Cats this year. It's been a lot more interesting than I expected coming in, and I'm excited to be back on the podcast to talk some more about it. Of course. Always great to have you. Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Amit. Very excited. I'm heading out with the team tomorrow for Maryland, a big three-game series there. And, yeah, these games are coming down to it, Amit. Every game, it seems like the stakes are pretty high for this Northwestern baseball team. For sure, yeah. As we as Matt said, he'll be on the air for all three calls this weekend. There's going to be some really fun games. Let's get into why they're fun. We're going to go back. We have three games since the last time we recorded Northwestern, taking two out of three against Purdue. Big win for the Wildcats. Just generally, real quick, you know, what does it mean for them to get this win? How do you like? What does it mean for the team? Uh, well, I was actually talking to those them about this a little earlier today and for their confidence going forward into this Maryland series it was just huge to know that they could win another Big Ten series against like a solid team that came in with nine Big Ten wins um, so they're, they're really looking forward to it and then materially in the standings the, the series win was huge moved them into a tie for eighth place which is that last spot in that Big Ten tournament so that's going to be big going forward and I think yeah just to echo what you said in the standings, this was so, so huge for them. Had they lost just one of those games that they won and instead come out of there with a 1-2 and two record in the weekend, they're looking in a really tough spot coming down the stretch because Maryland's a very talented team, and they only have three more games at home against Rutgers after that. So they're running out of opportunities to pick up huge wins. They came through there, and now they're looking like a very realistic position for the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, after we talk about all these Purdue games individually, we'll get into a conversation about how, what this team needs to do to qualify. But as we said, let's get into this Purdue series. First game, Friday, game one, Wildcats drive into Purdue that day. They come there and they come guns blazing right out of it. Score five runs in the four runs in the first inning, end up beating the Boilermakers seven to two. A quality start from Cooper Weatherby, a three inning save for Pete Hoffman. Who stood out to you in this one? I mean, honestly, it's got to be Pete coming in with the uh, three scoreless innings, struck out three, only allowed one hit. Spence said Pete was the MVP of the weekend for the squad, and he said this was one of the cleanest games they've played all year, and, I mean, the numbers back it up. Easy 7-2 victory, came out hot, finished strong. Can't ask for much more. Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I was so impressed with what Cooper Weatherby did, not just in this game, but, but all year long for this Northwestern pitching staff, just thinking about his story, where he was last year, where he was two years ago, not even on the team, and now there he is pitching on Friday night in a pivotal Big Ten game and coming through when they really need him. How big is that for this team, to have someone like Cooper Weatherby step up and just take his game to a whole other level this season? I'm not sure any other Friday starter in the Big Ten has a similar story. So for sure a great performance from him. I think the story of this game, I was there with Josh Byrne, was the wind was really blowing out to right field in this one. And it was 
kind of caught Purdue off guard in their own home stadium. The very first inning, the first hit of the game from Alex Arrow was a, a hit that kind of just landed in the middle of right field where it should have been an out, but the wind misplayed it. And they eventually got their first run on a Joe Hoshite double that went to the wall. They kind of had a big first inning, and as we saw, the Wildcats kind of get a big lead like that, they can coast a little bit. Pretty accurate. Yeah, when they get the <laughs> when they get the lead like that, that's the thing though. This is where last year they would get out to a lead like that, and then you'd be like, "Oh no, who's coming out of the bullpen?" There was no set role of who was going to come in when. And like you said, with what Spence said earlier today, that's been Pete Hoffman, or at least it was in this series. And another guy, another senior, stepping up so big this year, taking his game to that other level, goes the three shutout innings for that three inning save. And I mean, just having a guy like that with the movement he has on his slider, just a little deception to keep the guys on their toes out there, and it gets the job done. He did did an excellent job out there for three innings to finish it out, and I think that's going to be a big key. So if they're going to jump out to those leads early, which is, that's awesome, but you're going to have to have someone at the back end to shut it down, and that's what Pete Hoffman brought to the table. Yeah, and it's actually pretty impressive from Pete because he started off this year a little rough, and it was a shaky start, but he's really pulled it together recently and become that shutdown guy for the Cats. Northwestern really doing a good job when their bullpen can come in in set roles, and they've definitely figured it out. Pete Hoffman is the Friday bullpen guy, Sam Lawrence on Saturday, Josh Levy on Sunday for most of the season, and when the, they come in with the bases clean, they've been able to be much more effective. Offensively for Northwestern, Joe Hoshite had two hits and an RBI in this one, continued his hot hitting streak, and Alex Arrow had a hit, Jack Dunn had a hit, and two RBIs from Jake Schieber. You know, overall, pretty solid performance from Northwestern. Nothing too spectacular, but anytime you score seven runs against Purdue and their their Friday night starter was pretty talented, it's, it's, it's a great day for the offense. Yeah, I did a great job not leaving too many runners on base, too. Just six runners stranded. They had ten hits and four walks. That was another problem from earlier this year that they kept talking about and talking about was coming through and picking up three or four hits in an inning, and that's something they've really improved upon uh, going forward as the year's gone on. Yeah, impressive. Also, we talked about the pitching staff already, but they allowed just four hits from Purdue, which was really impressive, and You know, mentally for Northwestern, Purdue came in this game on a seven-game winning streak and also had not trailed in an inning for 57 innings before that first one. And the Wildcats came in and kind of just smacked them in the mouth on Friday. And, you know, I think that just gets your confidence going when they win that first game. I think the series might have gone differently if that first inning doesn't happen. I I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think that this was Northwestern, they knew the stakes coming into this game. They knew that... They had to walk in there into hostile territory, pick out two of three if they want to be in a realistic conversation for the Big Ten tournament. They came out firing in that first game, and it was it was a group effort. It was it wasn't just Cooper Weatherby; it was all those guys in the lineup and more uh, that we mentioned, and that's really what it was going to take. And they knew that going in. Yeah, along with that, you said they're not leaving guys on base. That comes to you when you get production up and down the lineup, and you see Leo Kaplan, three for four, Connor Lind with the RBI walk, Jake Schieber with two RBIs of his own, came through with a hit. So when you're getting production from those, like, six, seven, eight guys in your lineup and the top of the order is hitting like they have been, you're not going to leave anybody on because everybody's picking up the key hits. Yeah, so Northwestern took the first game 7-2. to Let's move on to the second game. This was a heartbreaker yeah. for the Wildcats. A really well-played game defensively from both teams. The pitching was excellent on both sides. 
Hank Christie, one of the best starts in his young career. Sam Lawrence, a great relief appearance as usual. But they went up against, you know, a very solid Purdue pitching staff, and they were ultimately stifled by one of the best relievers in the Big Ten, Ross Lernard. Um, we'll talk about him in a second, but they lost 2-1 to one in the 12th inning. This game was just a marathon endurance test, and, you know, looking back at this game, there were a lot of opportunities the Wildcats had to take this run, to get a game-winning run before the, the bottom of the 12, before the 12th inning. This is where you see those guys left on base, though. There's eight guys left on, and the bottom guys in the order only picked up two hits on the same on the whole game, and that's even counting Connor Lynch hitting in the sixth hole. And so when you're leaving guys on base, the, the top of the order accounted for all eight of those left on base. So that's the drop in lineup production that you'll see, I, I mean, honestly, with any team. But when they came through in the first game and picked up those huge RBIs, it just wasn't quite there in the second game against that tough staff. And It sucks that the pitching was so good and it turned into a loss, but it was an encouraging sign. And I think to echo what you said about the pitching, Hank Christie again. Now, I wasn't there like you were, Emmett, watching this one, but I can it brought back some memories of what happened a couple months ago in Santa Clara, which was just his third start of his career. He went a complete game for the first win of Northwestern season, and in that game, he did not walk a single batter. This game, only one walk allowed by Hank. And just imagining that there's a freshman pitcher who goes out there every Saturday so far this season and has had just incredible control. He hasn't walked more than two batters in any start this year for a freshman pitcher. That's just, it's such an incredible stat to wrap your head around. It's, it gets me excited for what he's going to be able to do going forward as a member of this Northwestern pitching staff. For sure. Hank Christie, what he does, he comes in, he throws strikes. He isn't going to strike you out a lot. That's not really a, a big part of his game right now, but he throws strikes. He, you said, Like you said, he has great control, doesn't walk people, and he gets a lot of weak contact. And a lot of times you can say, like, a strategy for this guy is to get weak contact. But sometimes you say that because you're just saying, well, he doesn't really have any other options. <laughs> for Hank, he, trust, he actually does get weak contact, and he played well to the wind, and he had a really good performance. He threw eight innings, one run allowed, six hits, just one walk, as you said, three strikeouts. So... A very impressive performance from Hank Christie. And then in came Sam Lawrence, who threw three in the third innings, allowed just three hits, one run, and that was that game-ending run. He pitched really well for two two innings. And then, you know, the last inning, the 12th inning, his third time through the lineup, kind of, or for, second time through the lineup, kind of got away from him a little. But the, offensively, there were some opportunities for the Wildcats to break through. The, the run they did score on, Jack Clays came really clutch with an RBI single. It was almost ruined because Joe Hoshite was running to third and got tagged out for the third out. But right before the tag out, I believe Alex Arrow scored. Am I right on that? Uh, Jack Dunn. Jack Dunn scored at home plate. So that tied it up almost really bad, but the Wildcats are going to regret a lot of opportunities in this one. Most notably, forget what inning it was. But Jack Clays was on second, and Charlie Maxwell came up for the Wildcats. And Maxwell absolutely ripped the ball, but it went down the first baseline right into first baseman's glove for Purdue, Jackson McGowan. And then they doubled up Jack Clays on second in kind of a bang-bang play. And that was like with one out, you had a guy on second, you really felt that you could have done it. 
I don't know. It was frustrating. That seems like the best word to sum it up from this game. They go 12 innings. You're there with them toe-to-toe. So many chances where you just had to get one run across. And some excellent pitching from a pair of freshmen who have been so key for them this year. And they were getting guys on base. That wasn't really the problem they had. They averaged over a guy on base every inning. Um, But it was just a matter of what they were able to do in that first game just not coming to fruition in the second game. Yeah, I mean, it's just a heartbreaking loss, especially when you see how close they are in the Big Ten standings and how much this game could mean going forward. Just Yeah, at the time, you know, you take away whatever happens in Game 3. At the time, you're just thinking about that game and where the Wildcats were in the standings. It was a kind of like a knife just through the side. Uh, other thing to note, that the reliever Northwestern faced Ross Leonard. He had a 0.29 ERA coming into this game, and he threw four and a third innings. And... That's really tough when you just face an absolutely shutdown guy. I mean, as long as they left him in, I thought they should have got to him by the end of that, but it's really tough when you get stifled. You know, Garrett Stroh, the starter, his curveball was just absolutely fooling the Wildcats. It was actually a little, just a little embarrassing because he was throwing it every first pitch. But anyways, Northwestern loses this one. They're walked off 2-1. to one. We finally set up a huge rubber match game three of this series and this is just a bonkers game the lead changes six times the wildcats ultimately prevail eight seven how did they do it they hit the ball really hard really often i mean this game was just crazy i mean i i was i watched this whole game because i i mean i couldn't i didn't quite get the call but this was just they scored, and I was like, oh, we got, like, they scored before I put the game on. I was like, oh, cool, a quick start. And then Purdue came back, and it was just back and forth the whole time. And it was really weird when no one scored after the sixth inning because it was especially weird because the night before, no one could score. And then the first six innings, everyone could score. And then at the end, it was just complete shutdown. So this was just mad. Yeah, this game kind of had a little bit, it seemed like, of everything from the series, at least <laughs> the best combination of the first two games you could come up with. with lots of offense uh, from both teams. And, and then at the end, like you said, just absolute shutdown innings. Uh, from the Cats, it was Tyler Last, Josh Levy, and Pete Hoffman getting the job done. And they really came through uh, in the end of this game. Similar to what we said about that first game. You can jump out to a lead early. That's great. You can have a lead going into the later innings, you're going to have to have the arms at the back end to shut it down. They show that they can do that with this game. Yeah, just recapping the narrative of the game really quickly. Northwestern scored in the very top half of the first inning. Purdue came right back, scored two. Then Alex Arrow hit a three-run home run, which, you know, probably wouldn't be a home run on any other day. And that's not to take away anything from you, Alex, but... He kind of hung it up there, and the wind was blowing out to right field, and it just stayed fair at 3.30 there at Alexander Field. But either way, Northwestern took a 4-2 lead. Then Purdue came right back and scored three. Northwestern scored two. Purdue scored two. And then finally, you know, down 7-6, to six, a huge single from Alex Arrow and an error from Purdue allowed Northwestern to take an 8-7 lead. Offensively for Northwestern, who stood out for you guys in this one? Other than Alex Arrow. I mean, it's got I be, mean, sure. We'll start there. Well, I mean, it, it does have to be Alex Arrow, but it's also got to be Joe Hoshite. I mean, four for five, you can't just 
shrug your shoulders at that. People don't go four for five every day. I think I added it up, and Joe Hoshite was like eight for 13 or something in he, this series. He sneakily put in another campaign for a third Big Ten player Big Ten of the week. Player of the week. Yeah. yeah. Hey, you got – people don't go four for five I'm sure day. probably someone on Minnesota won it. They absolutely clobbered Penn State. Yeah, that, that, that would make sense there. But, yeah, that's, again, a pretty big mismatch in that series. But Joe Hoshite, doing what he's been doing, it seems like, for all the conference play, just been a such a steady presence in the middle of that Wildcat lineup. And definitely a good correlation there between the winning ways of August for Northwestern and Joe Hoshite's incredible month. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I looked it up. The winner of Big Ten Player of the Week was a hitter for Minnesota. Uh, he hit for the cycle against Penn State, batted 550 on the week oh my. with 11 hits, 10 RBIs. Hey, Joe Hoshite had a higher average. <laughs> there you go. Great week for Joe Hoshite, but sadly you can't play the Nittany Lions every week. Hopefully none of you guys are listening to that in this podcast. Um, well, also, as part of the... Uh, Part of the ongoing story, though, was the production from the bottom of the order in this one. Um, there were six runs from the seven, eight, nine spot hitters. Yeah, exactly. And when those guys are getting on base, it opens up spots for the top of the order to come up and drive them in. And that's your three run homer from Alex Arrow and his four RBIs on the day. Like That'll get the job done. It's great to have the speed on the bases like they had with uh, Schieber and Dickey both in the lineup. You have those guys in the eight, nine spots. And then when they're getting on base like they were, they kind of serve as that quote-unquote second leadoff man at the bottom of the order. Ben Dickey on base four times in this game. And with his speed, that is such an asset for Northwestern. Yeah, Ben Dickey didn't play or didn't start in the first two games of the series, was a pinch runner. Insert to the starting lineup, and I think just as you said, Matt, used his speed to be like a second leadoff guy, and it really worked for Northwestern. Last thing of note, as you mentioned, Joe, Spencer Allen called Pete Hoffman his MVP of the series. He said the same thing to me. And Pete Hoffman got the save in this one. He came in with two runners on in the bottom of the eighth with Northwestern up one. The bases eventually got loaded, and then he got out of that jam with an out and then obviously finished the ninth inning cleanly for the save. But it's you can't say enough how incredible it is to have a pitcher that can get you out of a high-leverage situation, not only with the runners on, but then to get the save in high stakes. And it's great they had a senior leader. And, like, sure, a one-run game... A lot of teams can hold on to that, but you think about Northwestern baseball and where this team has been this year, last year, that's how long we've been here. I'm sure there are other stories, but I don't think there's ever been a more meaningful out in a long time for the Wildcats, a more meaningful save. Yeah, that was a really scary moment in that game when they uh, when Josh Levy got those two outs, but all those guys were on base, and they you, you always get worried when they turn to the bullpen because you're just not sure what's going to happen. It's just that inconsistency that we've seen. And so to have Pete come in and lock that down was just extremely impressive for me. Yeah, and not to knock Josh Levy, but when he came in the game, I shouldn't say that Pete Hoffman gave up a hit. Josh Levy loaded the bases because he accidentally hit a batter with his first you know, plate appearance and then allowed a walk and a hit. But to have Pete Hoffman come in and close it out, incredible for the Wildcats. Absolutely. Since, uh, since the month of April started, he's been one of the best pitchers for the Cats, the starter or reliever. Just so many dominant appearances out of the bullpen. And, yeah, like you said, they really needed it in this game. Um, he's pitching a lot of tight games as well. This wasn't the first time for him out there. Now in his senior season, he's been around. He knows what's up. And he can come through in the those clutch spots when you really need him. All right, so that's that. Northwestern takes two games from Purdue. Let's look 
at hashtag qualification season, as I know Joe Wilkinson <laughs> is concerned with with a few other teams on campus. Northwestern, 8-10 in Big Ten play, tied with Michigan State. Michigan State holds a tiebreaker after winning last, the series last weekend, two weekends ago, really. There are two series, Big Ten series left for every Big Ten team, but Rutgers and Minnesota, they have to play each other in addition to the other two series. It's not going to go well for Rutgers. It's not going to go well for Rutgers. First of all, you know, we can look at what Northwestern can control against Maryland and Rutgers. How many games realistically do you think they need to win, regardless of other teams, to get into that eighth spot? So, regardless of other teams, we're saying this is just what Northwestern needs to do. I'm saying they're probably going to have to get four, and that's just based on Michigan State's schedule down the stretch. And realistically, I don't think Michigan State is going to win four no. of their next six games. And I think Northwestern is going to need to win four to feel really good for themselves. Yeah, four, I think four wins, four wins you, will push you feel like that's it. You're just in because yeah. that gives you 12 wins. Spencer and histor- historically, 12 wins is the benchmark. And I think you guys are absolutely right. But when you look at the six games left... You think about the four, and you're, you're looking, either, there's two ways you could do this. You can beat Rutgers in a series 2-1, you can beat Maryland in a series 2-1, or, a very much more realistic scenario, you have to sweep Rutgers and then get lucky, we could say it, get lucky and take a game off Maryland. Yeah, Maryland, they're one of the best teams in the conference, they're the only team in the conference, top 25 RPI. They're right now second in record, fourteen and seven. I mean, this team is this team is just up and down, through and through. One of the best, not only in the conference, in the whole country. Yeah, they've and, been ranked at various points this year as well. So, so going into their into Maryland, where they've only lost one yeah, game at this home entire season. all year long, getting one game out of that would just yeah. be absolutely huge for Northwestern. And yeah, I think if they win there and then you sweep Rutgers, hey, you're in. You are in for sure. But. More realistically, it's really hard to sweep anyone. Northwestern couldn't sweep Penn State, and they'll regret losing Game 3 of that series. But if they win two against Rutgers, which I think has at least the goal. You know, it's not a killer if you don't sweep Rutgers. You have to win two. If you take one against Maryland, you've got three, and you're you're okay. If you lose a series against Rutgers, you're pretty much done. I think we can all say that unless everything goes crazy. Yeah, yeah, if but. you lose that series against Rutgers, and assuming maybe if you, even if you get one here, it's just that's going to be tough. Yeah, two wins, two wins isn't going to get it done. Is this yeah. just not going to get it done? Because I think Michigan State, although yes, well, that's a tough let, schedule. Let's look at it now. This is where things get really interesting because Michigan State and Northwestern are tied. Purdue is at ten and eight, which is two games ahead of both the Spartans and the Wildcats. Both Michigan State and Purdue do not have fun closing schedules. Let's start... Michigan State, yeah. We know Northwestern's. Northwestern has to go to Maryland and then has to go... And then has to come home and face Rutgers. Michigan State has to go to Nebraska, the number one team in the conference, to Nebraska, and then has to play Michigan, who is also one of the best teams in the Big Ten. When you think about the top tier, the top tier is Nebraska, Maryland, Minnesota, Michigan. So two top-tier teams... Then you start thinking, they might win one or two. If we win three, we're ahead of Michigan State. Now, the Wildcats can't be tied with Michigan State, but they have to feel good about that. Yes, because you think winning three is something that you can feel in whatever combination you do it. 
is a possibility for Northwestern. And, and yeah, I think two wins for Michigan State is, at least from our perspective, just that just seems like the most realistic outcome for them uh, heading into that tough stretch. Yeah, but beyond Michigan State and Purdue, who you have to worry about is Illinois because they're only a game back, and they also hold the tiebreaker. And then their schedule is Rutgers and Iowa, where they could conceivably win, win four, four or five yeah. of those games, and, and then that puts you in trouble. So there's pressure from below. There's pressure up top. It's going to be really interesting. The last thing we should mention, we talked about Michigan State schedule. You mentioned Illinois schedule. We know Northwestern's. The last schedule worth mentioning is Purdue's. Theirs is not easy. Purdue's schedule, they have to go home. They're home to Michigan, which is not easy at all. And then they have to go to Minnesota yeah. for the last weekend of the season. You, you can see, you just you saw can, what Minnesota did. Yeah. Uh, you can when they're cruising like Realistically, were. you know, there's a chance that two of the teams in right now could drop out and two of the teams, Northwestern Illinois, could come in. Any combination of these four teams could kind of be your last two spots. Indiana, they're 10-7-1. You'd probably say they're they're safe. They um, get to play. Uh, they play Penn, Penn State and Ohio State. Pretty sure uh, those are the bottom two teams. Down. In the <laughs> no, Ohio State is uh, Oh, sorry. Third. Ohio State is third from the bottom. Yeah, Rutgers is second from the bottom. So um, it's one of the easier schedules left um, for Indiana. Yeah. And they're already in a good position with the easy schedule remaining. I feel they should feel pretty good yeah. right yeah. now. It's going to come to these four teams – Purdue, Michigan State, Northwestern, Illinois, in that order. I'll put it to you guys right now. What do you think the chances are that Northwestern makes it? It has been described to me as a coin flip. I was going to say 50%, so you beat me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I think if they win three games, that's eleven and third, eleven and fourteen on the. Or that's not math, how math works. They win three games. That lose three games. That's eleven and thirteen. That's yeah. how math works. Yes, twenty-four. Yes, yeah, so they're eleven and thirteen. Um, I don't think Michigan State wins three games, so I think it'll be above them. But and Illinois. I don't know, but but no, Illinois, no, I think I think they're going to pass Illinois, but I don't know about Purdue and if they can pull out because we got the tiebreak on Purdue. Yeah, if they end up tied with Purdue, they feel good. So. But the thing to me is that Illinois factor because not only is their schedule down the stretch the easiest of the four, at least on paper, they're also playing, I think, the yeah. best baseball yeah. as of late. They just they took just two out of three from, from Maryland. Maryland with a thrilling walk-off yeah. home run win uh, in their last game. And yep. Watch they, that one, too. They just took two out of three at Minnesota, the series before that. This is a different Illinois team than we saw earlier this year. They're playing some very good yeah. baseball as of late with a relatively weak schedule down the stretch, look for them to potentially win five games in these next few, and that, that gets them to 500 in conference play and pretty much in um, going forward. Yeah, the last thing that we just should mention is that there could be a possibility of a three-way tie. Things get dicey. Oh, I do it not happened, know the tie It happened last year. As we get closer, we'll leave that for next week. Before the final series of the year, we'll tell you about how those tiebreakers work. But in case of a three-way tie, things could get really, really messy. Yeah, the the three-way tie can get bad. One other note on Illinois. They, uh, earlier in the year, fell in straight series to Michigan State and Purdue. So some key tiebreaker yeah. scenarios That's going why down the stretch. That's why it's all of Could this. hurt them. Yeah. 
uh, and give Purdue, Michigan State an edge. We already mentioned the Northwestern tiebreak scenarios. It's yeah. going to be a it's, fun It's going to be fun. I'm going to be watching a lot of Big Ten baseball this weekend. Yes, we I are. haven't said that in the past, so that's going to be It's going to be some, some fun qualification stuff. Let's wrap up this podcast with a cursory preview of Maryland. We they're know really they're good. good. The oh. stats are good. We could literally sit here and do an entire Maryland baseball podcast on how good they are. We're not going to do that. We've got a few minutes. What's What stands out to you the most from obviously a very talented team? Break it down, Matt. I'm going to start with what I think is the biggest threat to Northwestern on this entire team. That's Brian Schaefer. That's their Friday night starter. He's got a 178 ERA in 12 starts this 17th year. 17th in the country. First in the Big Ten. 83 strikeouts in 81 innings to just 16 walks. This guy has been absolutely dominant. Baseball America has him going as a top five round draft pick this coming June in the MLB draft. This guy is very legit. He'll be pitching on Friday night most likely, and that's going to be tough for Northwestern. But you look at the back end of that rotation, Tyler Blom, Taylor Bloom, a couple guys there. They got Blom and Bloom. They got Blom and Bloom, Tyler and Taylor. So don't mix those up. I'll I'll make sure you got those names straight this weekend in Maryland. Uh, But those guys are good, but a little bit more pedestrian numbers. And Northwestern, if they're looking just to get one game this series, got to feel like Saturday and Sunday may be the best opportunity to do so. The last thing we should mention as we're previewing this series, Josh Davis is an option for the Wildcats. He seems most likely to be the first Sunday reliever before Josh Levy. The three of them have Sunday duties. Because there are no more midweek games, he's available on Sundays. He pitched on Sunday in that 8-7 win against Purdue. Struggled a little bit, settled down a little bit too, but definitely an option, and we know, it's no secret, that Northwestern will have freshman Matt Gannon on a very tight leash in the next two series. And Josh Davis, correct me if I'm wrong, he pitched that Notre Dame game, correct? And he pitched very, very well, well against that Notre, Notre Dame, Dame game, yeah. which is, it's a, and that's a strong Notre Dame team. Another senior arm that they're most likely going to rely on if they get into a jam early. I think you said it best. They don't want to see that have that lineup see Matt Gannon for a third and time. I, bring d- in I doubt. Davis. Even if Matt Gannon is pitching well, he gets a third time through the lineup this yeah. weekend. That Sunday game is really the game I think that Northwestern should target as a game they can win because with Gannon, Davis, and Levy, you've got guys who can like get through the innings. And they also have, you know, depending on their usage, they have lasts. They have... They need an out here or there. They have J.R. Reimer and Rich Forden, and they also have Danny Katz, who hasn't been used that much on the weekend. So they definitely have a lot of options in that Sunday and game. Spence could go back to Pete like he did he, last weekend, which I was surprised by, but it worked. Yeah, the Friday and Sunday. And assuming he doesn't go three innings on Friday like he did, he may be available for a couple extended innings. And yeah. if he's pitching as well as he has been lately, you could see – uh, maybe some different bullpen usage patterns and a couple extra innings for Pete uh, if they're in a tight game later this weekend. Offensively for uh, Maryland, you know, the stats really pop off the page. I think you guys said, what, seven guys have over a 350 on base percentage. You know, we can read off all these stats for you. Is there anything that really stands out? We're telling you right now, you should know, this Maryland offense is insane. <laughs> yes. well, this guy up top, Marty Costas, Marty Costas, um, sitting 346. He's at nine home runs. His OPS is over a thousand. That's that's <laughs> popping off the page to me. I mean, that's pretty damn good. We know Northwestern likes to run too. This Maryland team oh. has a lot of guys who can move on the base paths. 88 steals as a team. They have five different players with double digit steals and. 
That's that's pretty good to have guys yeah, up North, and down the lineup North, who are, can be threats on the bases. Maryland is 13th in the country in stolen bases. So they've only allowed 31 it, all year, which is tough. Yeah, Northwestern, you know, it's no secret that they struggle to keep guys from stealing. They do use a very conservative pickoff strategy, but that being said, there's only so much they can do. It's going to be tough, too, given how many different guys can steal bases. It's not just one guy racking up 30 steals or something. Yeah, anyone gets on base. Everyone's between 10 to 20 in that steals range of those five guys. It's just, you just don't know. Anyone gets on base, they're a threat. Yeah. Will Watson's 12 for 12, man. It's going to yeah. be hard to catch him, even if like we were good at catching people and stealing. <laughs> I'm a little worried on the base pass, but I got one and two this weekend. We're going to win that game on Sunday. Come home with a big dub. You have the prediction from Joe. I was going to ask, but Joe beat me to it. He's got an internal timer. Matt, I you're on the air this weekend. I don't no think prediction from I don't me. think it's fair to, for me to put you on a prediction. I usually refrain from predictions as the podcast producer. So there you have it, Art. So it's, it's me with North, the The official Northwestern <laughs> baseball podcast, podcast prediction, prediction is, is uh, one out of two this weekend. One and two. One, one, one out of three. One and two. One out of three. Sorry. Yeah, one bad. out of I three. One and two. No, I, I probably misquoted you. However it goes down, it's going to be a crucial weekend for the Wildcats. Also, whatever happens, they're not out of it. True. But a game would be huge just setting the momentum for next week. Everything is shaping up wildly here. It's going to be crazy. Yeah, we're all over it here at WNUR. We'll have all the games on the air this weekend at Maryland. You can tune in the Evanston, Chicago area to 89.3 FM or online anywhere, wnur.org slash pop up. Thanks for listening to the Northwestern Baseball Podcast. This is Episode 9. Amit Malik. Thanks, Matt McHugh. Thanks, Joe Wilkinson. Tune in this weekend. And stay tuned for some meaningful Cats baseball. I'm here with Josh Reynolds, the associate head coach for Northwestern baseball team. Josh, how are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. Glad to be here. So we're going to talk a little bit about last weekend's series against Purdue, a huge series win for Northwestern. If you listened to the first part of this podcast, we broke that down in detail. We're going to go through again, just game by game, what went well, especially for a pitching standpoint. Let's start with Friday's game. That was Coop, who... I mean, really has emerged as such a such a great pitcher in this staff this year. Yeah, Coop, Coop worked hard. You know, he's been working hard from from day one when he was, uh, you know, after he made the uh, went through the walk on tryouts. He's been working, and, and it's finally it's paying off. His last couple months, you know, he's been really solid. Just uh, finally got a feel of what he's trying to do and understanding how Division One baseball has to be played and what he needs to do from a pitching standpoint, from a, a mechanics to controlling the strike zone to secondary pitches. Uh, he's just been really solid, you know. His and, and really the Purdue game, he was just okay, but he was he's good enough to like give us a chance and get deeper in the game, which is what we've been needing from our starting pitchers. And just how about as the season's gone on, his transformation from a guy who struggled at times as an, in a relief role last year to started out as that midweek starter that worked out well for him, and then now in that Friday night spot. Well, I think the, the, the thing that we forget with Cooper is when we went on the uh, the Portland series, he didn't make the, the trip with us. And, and some guys will, will take that the wrong way and they'll pout about it and, you know, like the, they'll, they'll worry about, woe is me, this or that. Well, Coop takes it the right way and he continued working. And ever since then, you know, not that he was pitching bad before then, he was just kind of like in that seldom role, like he comes out of the bullpen, whatever. Um, but he uh, he took it the right way. And from, from then on, he just like, here's the midweek start, here's another midweek start, so here's some, some relief appearances. And, and then it was just like, hey, let's give him the ball. And he's, 
he's he's taken it and ran with it, and that's good to see. And then moving on to Saturday's game, you go with a pair of freshmen there, fortunately fall in extra innings, and what was a heartbreaking loss for the team. But the pitching performance, you have to be happy with what Hank Christie and Sam Lawrence brought to the table in that game. Yeah, no, it was, it was good. It, and that was just one of those good baseball games where you knew that it was going to come down to, hey, one pitch, one play was going to determine the game. And that was one where you, you walk away and it's like, hey, like we, we just didn't make an, enough plays right there. But Hank threw the ball really well. Um, I thought he had all three pitches finally. You know, he's kind of had the, the fastball and the breaking ball have been in there, but he finally had the change up and it was working well. Uh, did a really good job of just controlling the, the, the strike zone. And then, and then Sam came in and did, did what he was supposed to do and it just came down to the guy. The guy got the pitch and the double, and, and, and that's a ball game. Yeah, and going back to, to Hank, you mentioned that control of the strike zone. He's been exceptional at that all year long. Hasn't walked more than two in any start yet this year. How, what does that mean for a freshman who can just control the strike zone like that? Sometimes you see guys come in a little rattled, but even early this year, I remember in that Santa Clara game, the complete game uh, for that one, what's it like to have a freshman be so in control of his stuff? Well, I think when we were recruiting him, we were able to see that that's what he was going to do. You know, he's a command command guy. Uh, the velocity's coming, and, and some days it shows up where it's, you know, 86, 88. Um, but he's more of a command first right now. Um, and that's that's really what we want. You know, when we go out and recruit and, and like, we're looking for pitchers. That's the type of pitcher we're looking for is the guy who we're not going to have to come in and teach them how to throw strikes, you know. They're going to be able to pitch day one if we were to play a game. And, and Hank Hank has shown the ability to do that in high school, and he's just kind of continued over here. And then he had to learn kind of how to pitch in college baseball. Like, you're not going to get away with that that uh, thigh-high fastball down the middle. And he, he went through three three outings where they were pretty rough, and he kind of learned, like, okay, i got to command it. And ever since he the Illinois game, he's been back on to commanding his pitches down in the zone and doing a really good job of just being able to mix in any count. And, we, we kind of expected that from him, but he's done a really good job of just, like, doing it all year. And then going on about Sam as well, he's been a guy who you can rely on for a couple innings at a time in a relief role and that you can stretch out a little bit and you can also come in to get that big out. What's it like to have someone so versatile? at the end of that bullpen. Well, it's good. It's good. You always, you know, you, you wish you had a, a couple more Sams, you know, because there are always those situations in the game where it's like, hey, this could be the closed situation, you know, not the, the last three outs, but in the fifth inning where you got a situation where you may need that guy to come in and stop it, and it's good to have that guy with Sam. And, like, those the combination between Hank and Sam has been working pretty well, and, and it's just it's the same. They're both, like, one's right-handed, one's left-handed, but they come in and they, they, they both attack the zone. They're both competitive, and uh, they don't beat themselves. And moving on to Sunday's game now, Matt Gannon started an up-and-down start for Matt out there. But I think the big story with the pitching staff in this one comes down to Pete Hoffman getting what some have called the biggest out of the season so far at the end of that game to give you that huge series win. What's it been like for Pete this year, who's a guy who struggled at the beginning of the year a little bit, but in the last month or so has really taken his game to a new level? Yeah, I just said what, what Pete's doing now is kind of what, what we've seen flashes of, and I think he's finally just you know, like calmed himself down and, and not putting too much pressure on himself, just going out there and trusting himself. Uh, um, but the, I think inside of that game, what we tend to forget is Tyler Last put up two and two-thirds of, of zeros right in the middle of that game there where that, was, for me, that was the game. You know, like that was that was the ball game. Pete came in and did his job at the end and closed it off, but without Tyler Last right there of just like we're scoring, they're scoring, we're scoring, they're scoring. Tyler comes in, puts up zeros, we get the lead, and now we're able to hand the ball over to Pete in that situation where he can go out and do what he's been doing. Absolutely, and then let's talk a little bit more about what that series meant in general. You guys are right now tied for eighth in the Big Ten standings with Michigan State. They have the tiebreaker after that series earlier, but 
What was that like coming out of Purdue with the series win, and how different would you guys be feeling now if that was a series loss? I, I think it's it's huge. You know, it's important that you we're going in every weekend trying to win a series, whether we're, we're fighting for the uh, the Big Ten tournament or not. We're trying to win the series when we go out and play. That's that's kind of what we're trying to build this thing on. The expectations don't change just based on the the conference standings, but it makes it even better now that we know that hey, this weekend we're still playing for something, and hopefully the Rutgers series we're still playing for something. So it's been fun. I mean, I think the guys are enjoying it. Uh, I think it's fun for them. They're like they they know that the last two series are going to mean something. And we're unlike last year where we 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 played well the last two Big Ten series, but we just we just didn't mean anything, you know. So it's 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 going to be fun, you know. And um, leaving Purdue with the with the series, like that's what we needed to do, you know, just to keep this thing going. And it wasn't the end. If we didn't, it wasn't going to be the end of the the, the season. We would have had to done done some different things going into these next two weekends but now we, we just give ourselves a fighting chance and that's what we've been wanting to do absolutely and then talking about this upcoming series against maryland one of the best teams in the conference they're one of the best pitching teams one of the best hitting teams the thing that stood out to me the most just looking at their stats their ability to steal bases they're in the top 15 in the country in stolen bases as a team and it's up and down the lineup there's so many different guys who are threats on the bases. How, how do you work with the pitching staff in terms of holding guys on and trying to limit their effectiveness on the base paths? I don't think we're going to stop what they're trying to do offensively. You know, you're just trying to contain them a little bit, you know, keep a guy at first a little longer, make them earn a stolen base, um, maybe maybe keep them there and we can get that big ground ball double play. Uh, so it's not going to necessarily change the way like, we approach things. We just may have to have a few more picks, a pitch out here or there, or just uh, knowing that the, this is part of their, their game and what they're trying to do to kind of cause havoc, so to speak, on the bases and kind of get into our pitcher set a little bit. But I think we've faced some teams like that uh, this year as well that we've had to had to kind of control the running game a little bit more and still focus on making a good pitch. And it's just going to come down to them being able to be under control, do that job first, and then be able to execute good pitches behind that. And if we do that, then then we'll, we'll be okay because Purdue, Purdue was kind of the same way. They had some guys who could run. And we did a really good job of getting the leadoff hitter out. Where now you get the leadoff hitter out, it's really hard to kind of create an offense and kind of get it going. So we have to just do those things uh, again this weekend. And if we can do that, we'll, we'll have a chance to shut down the running game a little bit. Another key, I think, going into the weekend is going to be having relatively a full pitching staff coming into this. No midweek game this week. And that means guys like Josh Davis is going to be available in relief. And what does that mean, someone who pitched so well in that Notre Dame game, to have another experienced arm that you can use this weekend if you need to? Well, we've actually uh, we've actually kind of changed the Sunday rotation. Josh Davis is going to start for us, so that that's that's what not having a midweek does for us. It just kind of gives him a chance to uh, go through his normal cycle of uh, you know during the week of getting ready, um, and now he's going to start the the Sunday game. So that gives us a little bit of experience there, and um, we'll we'll see. It's 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 good to have them all. You know, we just got to go out and, and and make sure that we execute the way we did it last weekend. And if we do that, then I, I think we're going to have a chance to, to to win some games. And and if we don't, then we won't have a chance. And then moving on after that, the Rutgers series. Are you guys looking ahead to that at all yet, knowing what the stakes are going forward, or just focus on this weekend right now? No, I think you just got to focus on this weekend because if we start looking ahead there, we forget about what we're trying to do this weekend. So we'll go we'll go Friday's game and we'll play that game and kind of see what happens there, and then we'll go Saturday and then Sunday, and then then we can look for the Rutgers series and kind of see where we're at in the standings and what needs to happen and kind of kind of start making determinations based on on everything that happened in the league this weekend. All right, thanks a lot, Coach. Appreciate it. Thank you.